Reality Northants, a cold, rainy day in June. Salut, mes amis. Well, Trisha blew her nose loudly several times. Milo said, Where's Steve yet again? And we all stood watching, one of us with bated breath, as Steve's plane started climbing into the sky over Nice. Within moments it had gone. As I turned, eyes pricking with tears, preparing to tackle the maddening eccentricities of the French parking system, the sun came out. You win some, you lose some, I reflected, recalling the words of Jean-Paul Sartre. I had lost a chap only to gain the sun. Ah, but now I am back in this cold, colourless clime. Speak to me, memory. Tell me of France. Remind me of those sun-warmed, honey-coloured days. Milo throwing a screaming fit as I drove back from Port Dallon down a French motorway. Twenty miles of high-pitched hell. The pounding on a hotel room wall as Milo, once more, decides that 5am is a great time to get up in the morning and have a damn good shout and sing-song. The bleary-eyed Frenchman in his dressing gown here at our door is a result of Sydney pounding back a reply to, com to the complaining knocking on the wall. Sidney, again, throwing a kicking, screaming tantrum on the floor of Giant Casino, expressing her displeasure with the colour of the sailor's hat I had just purchased for her, this precise hat being the very one she had demanded in the first place. Sidney and Milo, frequently, fighting over toys, pieces of paper found by the roadside, sticks, the honour of carrying the bread out of the boulangerie, or out of just plain no-pissing-about viciousness. Enough. A surfeit of such rich images could prove too heady for the brain. Stay memory, and yet... Passing the village idiot one evening, I chanced to see him engaged in the act of locking up some poor, hapless, aged crone into the hovel that served as his shelter. The village idiot was shouting loudly and waving his arm not engaged in the function of locking the door in the air. The door was covered by some sort of mesh screen, and the poor old woman's face, with its expression of bemusement mixed with resignation, stayed with me all the way to the bar. Passing the same spot on my return, some time later, I was both relieved and puzzled to see the old woman sitting outside the house, her scrawny, scrawny toil-racked frame resting on some crudely fashioned peasant stool. The village idiot himself was back in his usual spot on the corner, body angled like a Lautrec drawing, transistor radio rammed against his ear. In the small patch of dog-shit littered earth that served as a front garden, an attractive dark-haired woman was hanging washing. The woman smiled and bade me a bonsoir, monsieur, in a perfectly normal manner, and I returned her greeting in similar vein. I never saw the old woman again. Maybe the village idiot considered her too dangerous to be let out more than once or twice a year. Presumably he was in charge of her in some sort of way. His mother, possibly. Just who the attractive middle-aged woman was and how she fitted into the setup, I was never able to work out. She didn't seem as obviously crazy as the other two, but to fit into that household she had to be working on the principle of you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. Another morning, I chanced into the cafe to find the two big-ass young beauties from Roque d'Anteron, whom Steve will not remember, but no matter, 
One of them was togged out in what was obviously her best outfit. And as I sat outside, at an outside table, watching them go from bar to bar, looking, I decided for some young Lothario with dark side whiskers and an easy manner, who had seduced the beauty with the heartbreaking ass, having tired of her physical attractions he had in the morning, spun her some story of being a big shot in Charlival, thinking that as he lived in Lambeck there would be little chance of ever finding him. Now she found she was in the Club de Pudding and had come to tell him of his impending fatherhood and watch joy suffuse his swarthy features. As I watched, the sun making her chiffon skirt transparent, the girl and her friend went from cafe to bar and back again, an endlessly doomed search that I knew could only end in tears. They were still at it when I rose to go some half an hour later, circling endlessly, mindless as Pavlov dogs. They'd probably end up crazy, and the local officials would put them in the care of the village idiot, and he'd lock them up, letting them out once or twice a year when the mood took him. I finally took the car to the garage, the one in La Roque. Waiting for the mechanic to take a look at it, we watched a man climb into his car, start up, and drive into my stationary vehicle. There was a grinding sound from his gearbox, and his car did a kangaroo hop backwards, then bumped into my car again. Fucking hell, monsieur, I called out in faultless French. Ignoring me, the man carried on torching his gearbox. Uh, la maladie des hommes, a woman commented sagely, nodding at the man with a contemptuous expression. And indeed she was right. The maladie des hommes the man was suffering from was instantly apparent by his slurred speech and evil-smelling breath. Luckily he had done no more than put a slight dent in my vehicle and not being the sort of man who cares much about such things, I assured the dumb arsehole that it was Savard. La maladie des hommes, the woman muttered again. She seemed to speak from personal and bitter experience. I felt glad not to be married to her. Charleval Burke hats blossomed like flowers, and the butcher with mayoral aspirations hung a large colour photograph in his shop. The photograph depicted the local voluntary fire sighting service, and the butcher was kneeling in the front row, his face under the brass helmet expressing responsible concern, tinged with just the right amount of levity befitting the occasion. People started complaining about the heat after a couple of days of sun. The swimming pool at La Roque opened, and we were there on the first day. We were there on the second day, too, only to find our faces decorated in egg souffle when one of the help was gracious enough to tell us that the place was only open to the public three days a week. There was no notice to this effect. Sidonie, her expectations high, was not amused by the pool being closed to the public. Far from taking the news in good part, she threw a double wobbly, made even worse by the intense heat. I felt a headache coming on, but remembered it wasn't medically advisable to take any more aspirin just yet. Milo finally stopped saying, Where's Steve? And made, and Madame came over with gifts of cherries and strawberries. Vous êtes gentil, I said to her, as she handed over a large plastic shopping bag heavy with cherries. Her lips twisted into a wry smile. Ah, vous profitez, she said. Maybe her conscience had been troubled by her overcharging on the sheets, or more likely, it was part of the deal they had with the tourist board. 
On the day we left, Eve himself came over to give us three watermelons, making me feel bad about the towel rack that was only superficially being held together by aerodite, propped as it was against the wall. The butcher started pushing the super promo lamb that had been going not too well on Mother's Day, and the woman at the co-op had taken to wearing an apron emblazoned with some bawdy Gallic double entendre involving badly drawn coffee cups and a slogan in French proclaiming the woman liked it strong. Liverpool supporters committed acts of horrific insanity in Brussels and it wasn't a lot of fun being the lone Englishman in the bar that night. Le Provencal had devoted four pages to the affair and everyone in the place had an opinion about it. But the only one to say anything directly to him was the 80-year-old. He joined me at my table outside laying a copy of the newspaper in front of me, his stubby old finger jabbing at the photographs. Oh, foo, I commented, making a whirring action with my forefinger as I pointed it at my temple. This satisfied him for a moment or two, until he turned the page and found even more depressing photographs. From his tone, I could tell he was questioning me about something, but I didn't have the French to know what he was going on about and he was now clearly bored by the whirring action of my forefinger, indicating with a wave of his hand that I should stop. He continued to interrogate me, and I tried miming a semi-abstracted dove of peace in the Picasso manner, but we failed to communicate. As I rose to go, he looked up at me sadly, making me feel I had let him down in some sort of way. The semi-abstracted dove of peace had been a mistake, I realised. Too arty. I should have mimed a hoe or a spade, some symbol the old artisan might have responded to in a more positive manner. But it was too late, and his whistle, bonsoir, stayed with me far longer than it had been audible on the warm night air. And then suddenly, it's my last night, sitting out at the table on the pavement, watching the cars and lorries go by. Sometimes one of the drivers from the trucks will look down, see me drinking a cold beer and give a smile, a moment of macho camaraderie that is truly enjoyable, like Big John Wayne giving you a short right jab under the ribcage by way of showing you he thinks you're a regular guy. And suddenly it's over. Paying for my final beer, I almost gave in to buying one of the Burke hats, but in the end I sided against it. Wisely, I feel, on reflection. Now we're back in England. It's cold and not a lot of fun, rather like Margaret Thatcher. But there's always the chance that the weather, at least, can improve. Depressing, though. Almost enough to drive a chap to La Maladie des Hommes, nearing six. Time I was walking down to the boat inn. Au revoir, peace and love, Paul. <laughs>